Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Pool today. And discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or give them a call at 877-646-5347. Again, that number is 877-646-5347. Today is September 24th, 2021, and our first story, booster shots have been officially announced and Joe Biden is urging all eligible Americans to get the shot. Many are questioning if this means fully vaccinated will include boosters, it likely will, and the vaccine mandates will get worse. In our next story, AOC cried when nearly every House member voted against her to defund the Iron Dome in Israel. However, it appears that she didn't even vote no. She switched her vote at the last minute to present, apparently siding with Nancy Pelosi. So what are these tears for? And in our last story, the DHS is going to be tracking down extremists with a new program people liken to pre-crime, leading many to fear the police state is upon us. Before we get started, leave us a good review and give us five stars. Share the show with your friend. Now, let's get in to the first story. This morning, Joe Biden speaking to America urged all eligible Americans to get a vaccine booster shot. Now, this is interesting because a few weeks ago, Dave Rubin was tweeting out some news stories or an opinion. One was that the efficacy for the vaccines has been reduced and booster shots are coming. For this, Dave Rubin was suspended. Why? As it turns out now, he was correct. It was obvious he was correct because there were news stories already talking about this. But you can see the current state of things. They're gradually rolling out more demands and more restrictions. And this should have been obvious to everybody. Even when Israel began implementing booster shots after studies came out showing the efficacy of the vaccine was being reduced in Israel, in the United States, there were still conversations saying, no, 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 we're not going to do boosters. You know, uh, Fauci said, you know, maybe we'll do eight months. And Joe Biden argued maybe five months. But they said the FDA has not approved booster shots. We had, I think it was the World Health Organization saying, don't do boosters. We need the vaccine for people around the world. But surprise, surprise, here we are. Because it was just 15 days. I mean, two years. Because it was just a mask until we get vaccinated. I mean, you're vaccinated, wear the mask anyway. And it was just a negative test. If you weren't vaccinated or you're vaccinated, we'll get the test anyway. You see where we go with this. The restrictions aren't going to slow down. They're going to escalate. So how much longer until vaccine mandate means up-to-date booster shots? Of course, your vaccination card has four lines on it. 
But the Atlantic actually brings up a really interesting point, saying fully vaccinated doesn't have anything to do with COVID. When they demand that you be fully vaccinated for access, well, fully vaccinated means the full schedule of vaccines. It doesn't mean every single vaccine, but it means having lots of them. So how long until vaccine mandate quite literally means every other vaccine available or for the most part, the, the, the appropriate schedule as it were? Yeah, I think we are getting to that point. Now, also in Joe Biden's speech, he said uh, a lie. He said this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. OK, I'll, it's my opinion. The reason I say it's a lie is because it's actually a pandemic of comorbidities and 30.2% according to the CDC, obese. And so we got to pull back to the bigger picture. When they say most of the people being hospitalized are unvaccinated, that's true. However, most of the people being hospitalized, getting sick, dying, have comorbidities with 30.2% being obese. Obesity also contributes to other health issues that send people to hospitals. So if the underlying condition that exists is being exacerbated by COVID, then certainly we can say COVID's a serious problem. But we can also point out that we are a deeply unhealthy nation. And if 94%, according to the CDC, of COVID hospitalizations and deaths had a comorbidity, well, then we need to start focusing on those comorbidities for sure. That doesn't mean ignore the pandemic. I think COVID's actually really scary. I'm not going to hide and cower and not live my life, though. But when you have even someone like Alex Jones being like, it was bad, you know, like you, you can't breathe. It's scary stuff. I think people can recognize, yeah, we understand COVID's really, really bad. But based on what we're seeing with the economy right now, and boy, do I got some economic news for you. Shortages in the UK, in the US, paper supplies disappearing once again. Costco saying we're going to start restricting sales. Restrictions and lockdowns are not helping. And they say, oh, it's temporary. It's not temporary. No, it's the new normal, they say. So if you can't buy it now, don't be surprised if you can't buy it later. But I hope you guys are paying attention to where we go with this. It's not going to change. Well, it's, it's not going to change for the better. The restrictions are going to get more serious. Let's read the first report about the booster shots. And before we do, head over to TimCast.com, become a member, and you'll get access to exclusive members-only segments from the TimCast IRL podcast, as well as our new shows launching soon. And you will also be supporting our independent journalism who make amazing, who write amazing articles and do amazing work, and you'll get an ad-free experience. But don't forget to like this video, subscribe to this channel, share this video with your friends. If you really do think this is important, we could use your help in the marketing department because we don't get propped up like CNN does. Let's read the first story from The Hill. President Biden on Friday urged older Americans, frontline workers, and those with underlying health conditions who received a Pfizer coronavirus vaccine between January and March to get a booster shot. This week is planned. We took a key step in protecting the vaccinated with booster shots, which is our top government doc, which, which our top government doctors believe provides the highest level of protection available to date. The booster shot is free and easily accessible. Biden said up to 60 million Americans will soon be eligible and 20 million Americans are eligible today. Doses will be available nationwide at more than 80,000 locations, including more than 40,000 pharmacies, he said. Biden's speech comes after, after the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, diverged from the agency's independent vaccine advisory panel to recommend boosters for groups that included people at risk because of their jobs. The CDC's guidance aligns with what the Food and Drug Administration authorized Wednesday. It avoids what was previously conflicting guidance and encompasses a wider population 
than what the agency's vaccine advisory panel recommended earlier Thursday. Now, I want you to understand something. Rochelle Walensky is saying that she believes people should get boosters recommending them if you are at risk because of your jobs. Frontline workers, this means at a supermarket, at a fast food restaurant, this means at a gas station, they are all at risk. Quite literally, they're basically saying anybody who's working in contact with the public. Now, perhaps what they really mean is like hospitals and stuff like that. But people working at grocery stores were essential workers during the most strict of uh, the most strict portion of our lockdowns. I really don't think they're excluding those individuals. So it's very likely that full vaccination is going to mean your up to date boosters. They say, while acknowledging most Americans who receive a Pfizer shot are eligible for a booster, you see, Biden urged people who received the Moderna and Johnson and Johnson vaccine to be patient. My message for you is this. You still have a high degree of protection. Our doctors and scientists are working day and night analyzing the data from those two organizations on whether and when you need a booster shot. And we'll provide updates for you as the process moves ahead. He indicated that it won't be long before boosters are available for all Americans. And if you're not eligible, it's okay to wait. We're also looking to the time when we're going to be able to expand the booster shots basically across the board. So I would just say it'd better it'd be better to wait your turn in line to get there. Biden again took aim at the quarter of Americans who have refused to get vaccinated, despite all the evidence of the sh- of shots safety and effectiveness. The vast majority of Americans doing the right are doing the right thing, Biden said. In a country as large as ours, that 25 percent minority can cause an awful lot of damage, and they are causing an awful lot of damage. Now, that, I believe, is poor framing at the very least, or just outright untrue. First, 25 percent haven't gotten vaccinated. Many of these people do not live in urban environments. They are not in close proximity to other people and are not worried about getting or spreading. I mean, if you live on a 100 acre property homesteading where you mostly don't leave except for gas, your risk is very, very small. I mean, if you don't see people, well, they get counted in that as well. You also have medical and religious exemptions. It is not about being irresponsible for these people. It's about not being able to whether they wanted to or not. So this is you you must include full context when you're trying to help people understand what this 25 percent is. And to be honest, it feels like the 25 percent is overwhelmingly just people who are ineligible. Maybe not all of them. I don't know for sure. Certainly a lot of people just don't want to get the vaccine. Now, as for these lockdowns, Moderna CEO says pandemic could be over next year. He said those who do not get the vaccine will immunize themselves naturally because the Delta variant is so contagious. And as we've already seen from CDC data, 80% of people have some immunity already. You'd think at this point, they'd be like, wow, that's great. We should absolutely remove these restrictions, but they're not doing it. You see, because at this point, it is about two distinct cultures. The blue states and cities, they're too scared. They'll never let go. Mayor Bill de Blasio wants power, and he also doesn't want to accept responsibility for any loss of life. The same thing with, well, it was uh, Cuomo, now it's Hochul. They don't want to assume responsibility. So there's going to be like, it's easier to lock down because everyone's scared, and then they'll thank me for it. In the red states, people are getting sick and being mocked in the media, but people are choosing to take the risks to live free. You're not going to see this divide be mended. As for the pandemic, Moderna CEO says next year. So what does that mean? Three months? 12 months. Honestly, I have a feeling it's not even going to end next year. We got too many variants. There's an industry forming around lockdown and they call this the new normal. Well, let's 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 take a look at this. 
What does it mean now with the booster shots? The Atlantic writes uh, for the Atlantic. Shannon Lynn writes, fully vaccinated is suddenly a much less useful phrase. With tens of millions of Americans eligible for booster shots, the term could start to lose its meaning. The definition of full vaccination against COVID-19 has, since the winter, been somewhat difficult to nail down. It takes one dose of Johnson & Johnson, but two doses of mRNA. The CDC counts you as fully vaccinated as soon as you get your last shot, but tells you that you won't be fully vaccinated until two weeks after that. People have a hard time knowing exactly when it might be safe for them to venture into restaurants, wedding venues, or mask-free offices. Now, in the age of booster shots and breakthrough cases, the phrase has gotten even murkier. Earlier this morning, the CDC officially backed booster shots for tens of millions of Americans who are six months past their second Pfizer dose. Those over 65, those in long-term care facilities, and all adults who have an underlying medical condition that puts them at high risk of severe COVID, or who are at high risk of getting sick from occupational or institutional exposure to the coronavirus. That means fast food, gas stations, store clerks, grocery stores, etc. During a two-day meeting, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices this week, CDC's Sarah Oliver advised the committee that the agency's definition of fully vaccinated would not change, at least for now. That makes it much less useful as a category. Will some fully vaccinated people be more vaccinated than others? And it leaves open the possibility that the definition could change as more information becomes available. If you're fully vaccinated now, could you become unfully vaccinated a few months down the line? These questions go beyond semantics. As more and more Americans are mandated to be fully vaccinated in order to work, see here, 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 and here, for example, continued clarity on what the category means and who belongs in it would be crucial. Fully vaccinated didn't originate with the coronavirus. The term has been used for other vaccine series that require multiple shots, such as those for measles, hep B, HPV. Currently, the CDC considers people to have achieved full vaccination against COVID-19 two weeks after their second dose in a two-dose series such as Pfizer and Moderna, or two weeks after a single-dose vaccine such as Johnson & Johnson's Janssen vaccine. The agency's website does include a caveat. For the immunocompromised, being fully vaccinated might not be the same as being fully protected, so a third shot is a good idea. Part of the problem is that the difference between full vaccination and full protection has been explained less than perfectly to the American public. The truth is no one is 100% protected from the coronavirus after vaccination, regardless of how healthy their immune system is. That's simply not how vaccines work, especially in the context of a pandemic virus that hasn't stopped evolving. You cannot definitively say, until we have finally beat the virus or gotten it to a point where it is no longer killing people, that you are fully protected, says Rakhaija Yirbi, a health law expert and co-founder of St. Louis University's Institute for Healing Justice and Equity. I'll take their word for it. But the Atlantic does bring up a really good point. If the vaccine mandate requires one shot, well, then this is totally irrelevant. But if there are vaccine mandates that require full vaccination, which there are, then at what point do they say you're not fully vaccinated if you lapse? Are you six, month pa six months past your last dose? Well, then you must be boosted. And if you're not, well, then you're not fully vaccinated. I believe at this point it would be absolutely insane not to recognize that's the path we're going down. Every step of the way, it's just 15 days. It's just till we slow the spread. It's just a mask. It's just until the vaccine comes. Now the vaccine's here. Put your mask back on. Or if you don't want to get vaccinated, just take the test. Okay, now you're vaccinated. Okay, take the test anyway. Why should I believe at this point anything's going to change? No, they've called for boosters. Biden has said it's time for boosters. People in the media are calling for boosters. Soon they're going to say you're under vaccinated. Are you under vaccinated while well, you're killing grandma? Seems to be the direction we're going. 
Now, I think Biden makes a mistake here. Biden says unvaccinated Americans are costing all of us as he presses COVID vaccine mandates. Fair point is that most of the people hospitalized are unvaccinated. So obviously, if you're more likely to get sick, you're more likely to be hospitalized. But even the CDC points out that most of the people hospitalized have comorbidities. So it is unfair just to say unvaccinated. You need to point out to people that it is a combination of being unhealthy or having underlying conditions, which to be fair as well, Biden says, if you have those underlying conditions, get a booster shot. Those who are sick and overweight, generally unhealthy, and are not vaccinated are ending up more in the hospital. And, and the overwhelming majority, I think 94% have comorbidities. And at that point, we need to say this is not a pandemic of the unvaccinated necessarily alone. It's a pandemic of unhealthy attitudes, behaviors, poor diet, poor exercise. Certainly, there's a simple solution. People can get vaccinated. But I'd say talk to your doctor about what makes sense for you. But what, what about the long-term solution? People need to get healthy. Stop eating bad food. Start exercising. Take Dr. Fauci's word for it. From May 2021, 80-year-old Dr. Fauci's advice for staying sharp and healthy as you age. Now, look, I know a lot of people don't like this guy. That's why I'm highlighting this article from CNBC. Dr. Fauci says, take care of yourself. Get some reasonable sleep. Don't get overcome by stress. Have a good diet. Don't smoke. Don't drink too much. Enjoy life, but don't do things in excess. At the start of the pandemic, Fauci said he was only sleeping four hours each night and wasn't eating or drinking water. It really took my wife to shake me and say, hey, this is going to be a marathon. You really got to pace yourself because if you think you're in a sprint, you're going to burn out fast. He said Fauci hasn't taken a day off in 14 months, he said during his interview. Dr. Fauci, in a viral video that's recently been surfacing and in the past, and it's not a secret he said these things, he said, vitamins, get sunlight, vitamin D, exercise. You know, if you're only looking at the times Fauci was wrong, and he's been wrong a lot, you're ignoring the times he was right. It's fine to point out when he was wrong. It's fine to point out you don't trust him. But it's also fine to point out that Dr. Fauci has been right about getting exercise. However, the lockdowns have been stopping exercise. People can't go to the gyms and people can't get sunlight. Well, those are huge mistakes. People need to get exercise to get fresh air. COVID spreads very easily indoors because of the air circulation. Take Dr. Fauci's word for it. But let me just show you the CDC. All right. Obesity, race, ethnicity and COVID-19. They say adult obesity is increasing and it's it's mainly in southern states, southern states and the Midwest. You can see the highest prevalence of obesity. Now, hold on there a minute. Let's take a look at hospitalizations. Where are they popping up the most? in southern states. So what the left tries to say in the media is that, oh, it's because they're anti-vaxxers. Well, it's probably because they have comorbidities. It's probably because they're overweight. Now, Florida is not particularly overweight, but we do have obesity problems. So there's probably a combination of factors. From the CDC.gov, obesity worsens outcomes for COVID-19. Adults with excess weight are at even greater risk during the pandemic. Having obesity increases the risk of severe illness from COVID-19. People who are overweight may also be at increased risk. Having obesity may triple the risk of hospitalization due to a COVID-19 infection. Obesity is linked to impaired immune function. Obesity decreases lung capacity and reserve and can make ventilation more difficult. A study of COVID-19 cases suggests that the risk of hospitalization, intensive care unit admission, invasive mechanical ventilation and death are higher with increasing BMI. 
More than 900,000 adult COVID-19 hospitalizations occurred in the U.S. between the beginning of the pandemic and November 18, 2020. Models estimate that 30.2% of those hospitalizations were attributed to obesity. Now, you may have seen these stories. There's one where it's like healthy 16-year-old hospitalized with COVID and the kid weighs 300 pounds. I got no disrespect. I believe in freedom. If you want to gain a bunch of weight, I mean, that's your life to live and we only get one, right? But don't expect me to want to spend money on healthcare for people who are not responsible, who are not going to be responsible to the community. The left likes to talk about universal healthcare and I'm in favor of universal healthcare. They like to talk about, you know, uh, supporting each other and things like that, right? Okay. If we are to implement universal healthcare, That would mean support requires you to be responsible for yourself and to others. If you are sickly and overweight and you're getting sick and bogging down the healthcare system, you are not taking responsibility to the community. Well, therein lies the big problem. This is why I don't think that we're going to ever implement some implement some kind of actual universal healthcare system, especially when you have government agencies trying to distribute vaccines based on race. People are just going to say, you know what? Not doing it. Go private. But there are, pro- there are problems there too. Nobody wants to just watch some dude die because he couldn't buy 30 bucks worth of insulin. And it's happened. And it's sad. So what do we do? I don't have all the answers. I can tell you, until people are being responsible for themselves and understanding their obligations to their community, we can't implement anything like this. So they're going to mention that, yes, if you're overweight, you're at risk for COVID. Take a look at this story from the Daily Mail. Mama, I don't want to die. 20-year-old daycare teacher's haunting final words to her mom before she was intubated and died of COVID. It's a terrifying and sad story. I feel for this individual's family. You don't want to see stories like this. They say an Idaho mother says the last thing her 20-year-old daughter told her before she was intubated and placed into a medically induced coma while being treated for COVID was, Mama, I don't want to die. Summer Carr told the station KTVB she assured her daughter that she was going to survive. Shepard lived in Ontario, Oregon, and worked as a daycare teacher when she contracted COVID two weeks ago, ultimately resulting in her hospitalization. Her mother has declined to reveal her daughter's vaccination status, saying she was not un- she was she was uncomfortable with discussing it or not uncomfortable. I mean, she didn't. Many people have said, "Haha, that means she was not vaccinated." Because if she was, she would have said it. I don't think so. I we don't know. There's a hyperpartisan political space. She could have come out if she said she was. Look, look at it this way. This is really fascinating. A bunch of people on the left said that means she wasn't vaccinated and then she died. No, it doesn't. What if the mom is sitting there thinking my daughter was vaccinated and she still died. And the last thing I'm going to do is freak people out. What if she's saying my daughter wasn't vaccinated and she should have been? I don't want to freak people out. The point is, we don't know the vaccination status. Don't make assumptions. What we do know is that this young woman was morbidly obese. I am not saying that as an insult. I'm saying that as a medical term, this woman was morbidly obese. She is dramatically overweight. As I showed you from the CDC, it reduced lung capacity, oxygen reservoir, uh, immunocompromises your immune system. So they show you these stories. The context is very important. Yes, she was 20 years old, but you need to understand that you can call it a pandemic of the unvaccinated because most people being hospitalized are. They're still breakthrough cases, but let's call it a pandemic of comorbidity, a lot of older people and a lot of younger people who are unhealthy. The percentage of people who have died who are healthy and under 40 uh, is 1.63%. I believe that's the CDC's official data. Let's not downplay this. I mean, that's scary. 
you will you do not want to get sick with this. I've had people in the studio. The last thing I want to see is getting COVID. So wash your hands. You know, I, I'm, I'm saying it somewhat jokingly because, you know, the, 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 the Kaiser Chiefs thing where he's like, clean hands, wash your hands. No, but take precautions. Just be normal about it. I got chickens, as I often tell you about. So I got to wash my hands a lot and my arms and I got to make sure I'm not because they're dirty, dirty birds. But let's be hygienic. Let's be healthy. Let's exercise. Let's cut out the bad food. Go to your doctor. Talk about ways you can improve your health. I'm not even kidding with this. Like, let's make our lives better. You don't got to do it because of the media. You don't got to do it because of any political faction. You can say, I'm going to do it for myself. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to get fresh air. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to eat right. You know, there's nothing better than this. To the left, you want to reduce COVID deaths? Okay, by all means, advocate, have people go to their doctors. Let's advocate for better living. How about that? Yeah, I know there's a lot of body positivity people that don't want to have this conversation, but I think most people on the left will be reasonable when we say, let's be healthy. Let's be healthier, right? And to the people on the right, probably agree. I think everyone agrees with this one. If we have a healthy population, we're a stronger country. We had a lot of, a lot of bad stuff happening in this country, and I think a lot of it is due to the fact that we are generally unhealthy. Now, let me show you something. Aside from my allergies, I want to point out that um, strange times, strange, to- strange times indeed, Whitmer miraculously rejects mask and vaccine mandates as polls show her trailing in re-election bid. I'm not sure it's fair to include the re-election bid thing. I mean, if you want to do an opinion piece and say they're related, fine. But Gretchen Whitmer, Democrat of Michigan, is saying no mask and vaccine mandates. Wow. I'm surprised by that. Legal insurrection reports. But Whitmer had a sudden change of heart saying no mask mandates, no vaccine passports. Whitmer and the Michigan State Legislator agreed on a budget. This is no ordinary budget because it bans mask mandates and vaccine passports. Democratic Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer and the state legislature have agreed on a budget proposal that includes language banning health officials from enforcing mask mandates in schools and preventing state public agencies from enforcing vaccines on employees or customers. The director of local health officer so our office shall not issue or enforce any orders or other directives that require an individual in the state who is under the age of 18 to wear a face mask or face covering. The language could mean that health officials mask mandates for K through 12 students in areas such as Oakland and Wayne counties could be null and void. Instead, mask mandates would be left in the hands of school boards and districts. Had to highlight this because credit where credit is due. I don't I'm not a fan of Gretchen Whitmer. She has done horrible things, but I will give credit where credit is due. I still think she should be voted out. But if they do something good, they deserve praise for it. Hopefully it encourages them to do better. I'll tell you why. Where do these mandates bring us? Well, it brings us to dark places. For one, Oregon Live reports both vaccinated. Oregon health officials say you can kiss on dates again. Yeah, if you're getting your romantic edict from the state. Yikes. But I get it. Sure. Here we go. Another massive shortage of toilet paper. Other goods likely soon. Retail expert. Product shortages are as bad as they were at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Coming back, Bert Flickinger says, the U.S. Let me read. The U.S. will experience another massive shortage of toilet paper soon as supply chains continue to suffer due to pandemic-related issues. They say his prediction comes after the retail giant Costco warned customers this week that it's having trouble fulfilling toilet paper orders. He went on to say that only 60% of paper ordered this week by American retailers is being shipped successfully. And now, Costco limits purchases on paper goods, water, 
and key items amid supply chain delays. Bath tissues, roll towels, Kirkland signature water and high demand cleaning products may see purchase limits. My friends, I hope you are paying attention. Why liquor shortages caused by the COVID-19 pandemic persist in some states. You ain't going to be able to get your booze soon either. And boy, that's a dark day. They say that one of the best investments you can make is alcohol. Why? Because in the best of times, we buy booze to celebrate. Cheers. And in the worst of times, we drown our sorrows. So regardless of which way the economy goes, people want to buy booze. I don't like drinking. I think drinking is bad. Don't do it. We do have a bunch of really great and fancy booze for other people, though, because I'm all about liberty. If you come to the show and you want to partake in a delicious whiskey sour or a fine scotch served neat, by all means, it's all you. I got no issue. In fact, we've got a bunch of stuff here. We got vegan food, gluten-free food. We got keto food. We got sugar and candy because we accommodate because I recognize not everybody lives the same way. I think when people are unable to get their booze, that's when we're going to be pretty worried about things. But my friends, the shortage, it's not just here. Let me take you on a fantastic journey. The reason your Christmas is going to cost more this year. Uh Uh-oh. Huge backlog of 62 container ships wait to dock at America's biggest port as global supply chain crunch hits home. Oh, geez. Labor shortage, my friends. I mean, there's a big surge in buying. There is a massive flux of, of, of goods flooding in. That's somewhat good news, I guess. Consumerism, not a fan. But there's a labor shortage and the supply chain's been disrupted and has not recovered, in which case it's just it's just a ripple in the system that's struggling. It's, it's a traffic jam like, you know, you ever see a traffic jam where you, you, you could be on the highway, stop for no reason, and it just creates a wave of traffic. That sucks. This is what's, what's happening with our economy, but it's happening other places. China's power cuts widen amid shortages and climate push. That's scary for China. Power surges. Yikes. Here we go. Tech Explorer. Shortages caused by bottleneck recession for German industry. Shortages in Germany. And then petrol driver shortage. Ministers discuss supply issues. Man, you got to see the photos coming out of the UK. People aren't going to be driving. We got some electric bikes because uh, not that I'm confident electricity will be around forever. Who knows what will happen with the fossil fuels, uh, with fossil fuels, when we're seeing these shortages. But I'll tell you this. The first going to go is going to be the gas. So I got an electric car, I got electric bikes and we have solar panels and we don't have a massive grid. Like uh, we don't have the solar panels on our houses yet. We're waiting for those where we want to get them installed. Um, what we have is batteries with smaller solar panels, which we got a lot of these big batteries. They're really, really awesome. Actually, they're massive. They can run air conditioners and washing machines, huge batteries. And they have solar panels that can charge up in only a couple hours because you put out this big array. I'm worried about the gas shortage. They say it's not a real gas shortage because gas exists, but that's semantics. If people look, if the gas is a thousand miles away from where you are and you got none, you are in a shortage. It's the craziest thing. They're like, there's no gas shortage. There's no gas shortage. Sure, we have millions of barrels of crude underground. I mean, you have none. So there's no shortage. That's a ridiculous argument. If your gas station can't get it for whatever reason, you have a gas shortage. It's fair to say the full context. But that's not what the media is doing. They're saying, don't worry about gas, no shortage, mind your own business. 
And then you see lines of 100 cars come out of these gas stations. I hope you're, you're prepared for what's to come. And I don't mean by going and buying up stores and panic buying. Yeah, that's always a bad idea. That just causes people to hoard stuff that spoils and you don't want to do that. But you should be thinking about the future. You should have some emergency food and water. You should have a first aid kit and you should be prepared for this stuff. And if you, if you still live in a city, well, then good luck. I don't think cities are going to collapse overnight. But as they say, what gradually and then suddenly, right? If you're watching the overt authoritarianism sweep across your city and you're sitting there as it worsens, don't be surprised when one day overnight police lose control of the wheel. And then all of a sudden you see what we saw with the, the BLM riots and there's food, there's no food, there's roving gangs. It's already getting that bad. Crime is skyrocketing. And if you're watching this happens, don't forget gradually, then suddenly, once we reach that line where the pressure builds up and the seam bursts, then you'll be wishing you got out of those cities. I got out of the city a while ago. And I got to say, we are very, very happy with where we are at. We're expanding the business. We're hiring more people. It is going swimmingly. And you know what? We're, we're, it's better for the environment. We're more self-sustainable. We have our own chickens. We have our own food, as you've heard me talk about. And it feels good. It feels good to do right by the environment. We've got naturally growing fruits that, that blossom. That, that We got apple trees. We got pawpaw. We got wild wine berries. A lot of our food, not all of it or most of it, but a lot of it comes locally. We want meat. We go to local farms. We want fruits. Well, right now it's pawpaw season. They're just about, you know, spoiling and finishing off. But we got tons of it up here in Appalachia and they're great. Now, I'm not eating most of that starchy stuff. I'm mostly doing meats and cheeses. That's what I've been doing for a minute. But I think we need to be more responsible for ourselves. Spreading out from these cities, I think, is going to be good for everybody and good for the planet. I think it's something we can do, and I think you won't regret it. For the time being, boosters are here. The mandates will get worse. The lockdown's to follow, and I hope you're ready. Next segment's coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcastirl. Thanks for hanging out, and we will see you all then. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the squad members were trying to strip a billion dollars in funding from Israel's Iron Dome defense system. Well, the other day it went up for a vote and Ocasio-Cortez cried, weeping after her vote failed. It didn't just fail, it failed spectacularly. 420 votes in favor of providing a billion dollars to Israel's Iron Dome defense, nine votes against. Now, the other night on Timcast IRL, we did briefly go over this, talking about how this shows AOC does not represent the majority of Americans. And I do understand there's a lot of people in this country, populist and libertarian, who don't care to be sending money to Israel for the Iron Dome defense. But I actually think most Americans, if there's, if there's, if there's something we're going to be doing in terms of funding and providing aid to our allies— that's the one that many people agree makes sense. Now, I'm not necessarily making that argument. I'm a bit of a fence sitter on this one. I, I think, you know, if we were to take away the Iron Dome defense, Israel would be peppered and just bombarded. And it's a bit different from us invading Afghanistan and Iraq. But that being said, there's a really, really strong argument for the fact that, I don't know, there's a poop patrol in San Francisco and we're sending money overseas. If you don't secure your own face mask, how can you then help others if you pass out from uh, hypoxia? You know, the saying, you know, when you're on the airplane, you got to put on your own mask. It's tough. But I, I do kind of think 
having a stable country in Israel, we're not, our military presence isn't like, we are not going over there like with Afghanistan. This is a longstanding uh, alliance. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. This one's, this one's, this one's uh, in the middle of the road for me, right? With Afghanistan, I was clear cut. I'm like, we shouldn't be there. Maybe, maybe some logistics and support. But anyway, I digress. AOC wants you to believe she opposes this. She wants you to believe she cares about this. She does not. Ocasio-Cortez is a perfect, perfect budding Democratic politician. I mean, she'd do fine in the Republican Party, too, if she pretended to have those values. You see, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was crying after losing, but she didn't even vote no. In fact, after a conversation with Nancy Pelosi, it appears she changed her vote to present. Now, why could that be? Well, for one, AOC's a liar and a grifter and a manipulator, and that's her game. You know, look, she was a bartender. She got elected to Congress, and I can respect that. But you got to think about what that means. She was a nobody doing nothing. And then all of a sudden, here she is on the world stage, millions of followers, and they're like, yay, AOC. And then Nancy Pelosi comes along and says, if you don't play ball, you're out. And AOC went, please, this is the only thing I have. I'll do anything you say. And there you go. So you watch Nancy Pelosi go up to Ocasio-Cortez, wave her arm. I'm not, I'm not kidding. It's literally a C-SPAN video. And she's like waving her arms around and doing this. And then AOC changes her vote to present. Why would she do that? You know, I imagine it like, you know, you know Ocas- uh, Nancy Pelosi is, is standing there in Congress. And then the squad is like, we're going to strip funding for the Iron Dome. And AOC says, wait, hold on. Don't don't go up against Nancy Pelosi. I need her. And then they're like, she's too dangerous to be allowed to control the house. And then Ocasio-Cortez says, no, and then drops to her knees and says, I will do anything you say to Nancy Pelosi, who tells her to vote present. Uh, I'm not saying that I literally know that Nancy Pelosi told her to. The speculation is that Ocasio-Cortez has political ambitions. She wants to run for the Senate and challenge Chuck Schumer. So she is going to be the perfect slimeball manipulative liar who would come out and say she opposes funding for the Iron Dome. I can certainly respect the libertarian argument in that capacity and then not actually stand against it at all because her principles be damned. I mean, she she's got a political career to think about. Heaven forbid she have to be a bartender again. But let's be real. If AOC did get voted out of Congress or if they took her district away, she'd do a book tour. She'd be on a TV show or something like that. She'd make money off YouTube or Instagram. But I think at this point, what's happened is AOC has become too popular. And so the Democratic establishment is not going to let her go. So I don't think AOC is at risk of being pushed out by the Democratic establishment. No, I think they're like, we own you and you will do as you're told. Otherwise, it's back to the bar for you, which I don't think is possible. Because if AOC were to leave, it would cause devastation to the Democratic Party. And they need, well, they need some semblance of unity, right? Here's the story from The Independent. AOC, and they put, oh, I love this. They put cries in quotes. (laughs) Yes, I also agree she was faking it. AOC cries after Democrats thwart squad attempt to defund Israel's Iron Dome. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez appeared to cry on the House floor after breaking with her fellow squad members in a vote to fund Israel's Iron Dome. The bill passed with a 420 to 9 bipartisan majority despite the squad's efforts. Led by Ms. Ocasio-Cortez, the nudge forward 
uh, to nudge forward its agenda of withholding military aid to Israel. Perhaps, perhaps she really did cry. And perhaps this is the moment her soul was finally shattered by the Wall Street, uh, I'm sorry, by the establishment, not Wall Street, by the K Street beast. I remember when AOC first got elected. I think it was actually before she was officially elected. It was after a primary. She did this interview where she had said something like um, Israel's an apartheid state or something like that. And then she was asked to clarify, what does that mean? What are you saying about Israel? And then AOC was like, oh, um, actually, I don't know. Huh. A lot of people on the left said, there it is. She gets elected and here she goes warming up to Israel because it's not a popular position in this country. I'm I'm going to tell you this. Look, I think there's a lot of populists and libertarians who don't want us providing funding to any foreign country, especially when we're in this level of trouble. But I think I think it's fair to say there's a large portion of Americans who are in favor of providing support to Israel, considering what goes on with the Israel-Palestine conflict. I also think there's a large portion of Americans who are not happy with the conflict, but the Iron Dome isn't a drone strike system. It is not a military occupation. It is, hey, don't shoot missiles into our allies' country, and we help them with funding. I think regular Americans, they're not isolationist. They know that we have allies. They know we provide funding and support for our allies overseas. I just think I should probably look at the polls to get a better view of this, but it's been fairly, I I think this is viewed as popular, right? I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's right. Not, Not at all. But I also think that this is a, this is a particularly tough wedge issue when it comes to Israel and Palestine, that you get such fervent zealotry over this. I can certainly take a look at, you know, our, the, 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 the busted up water pipes we have throughout the country. Flint was the big story. I think they fixed that. Some people said they didn't. I don't even know. People just say some, you know, different things and you have no idea what's going on. Yeah, we could take that money and we can fix them. We could fix up America's roads and infrastructure. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, why it is that we send money to all these countries. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my thoughts. So I'm going to say it candidly and then we'll read more. Look, there's a big difference between Pakistani, gen- Pakistani gender studies military intervention in foreign countries like Afghanistan, where we have a hard presence over 20 years, and we have an ally. Japan is an ally. We provide funding. South Korea is an ally. We provide funding. Now, there are good questions about reviewing all of that funding we give to them, absolutely, including Israel's Iron Dome, but it's just not the same. I just, I don't know. I'm open to have a discussion about it, to be completely honest, but I'm, I'm not an isolationist, and I'm anti-intervention, but I'm not I'm not opposed to having allies around the world. And some people I know are absolutely isolationists. It's not me. I just don't see it. Check us out. The squad earlier this week leveraged the urgency of raising the debt limit to withdraw $1 billion in funding for the missile defense system from the Democrats' earlier spending bill. But instead of standing by her opposition in Thursday's vote, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez changed her vote to present at the last minute. Now, why would she do that? Look, I'll tell you this. I'm willing to bet that AOC was like, I vote no. And then they go, bravo, AOC. Ah, change my vote to present. So she can get that show. Instead, she changed her vote to present. Her tears were slammed as theater and bad theater at that by critics like Meghan McCain in response to the moment being reported by journalist Jake Sherman. AOC seems distraught. She's in the middle of the House floor, wiping away tears, crying into her colleague's shoulder. She is a con artist. Okay, we are in the influencer era, a disgusting, just awful. What's the uh, what's the uh, putrescent, just disgusting corpse like rot 
what's that word? I can't think of that, that, that word. There's a word for like the stuff that comes out of a dead body. It's just, it's, it's, I look at AOC and what do I see is a, a, a lich, an undead, uh, corrupt. It's like, it's just so evil. It is so evil. You have these influencers, they go on Instagram and they change their face and they try and lie about who they are to manipulate you and they want your likes and they want your money. There was one lady who was like 50 and then she was using a youth filter to like make money off people. And I'm like, this is just so creepy. AOC is that, but for politics, she gets all of these people to go like, yeah, girl. And then AOC is actually just the influencer version of politics. She goes on Instagram. She makes a fake persona, BS garbage about what she thinks and what she wants. Everyone rallies around it. And then she shuffles them on into the establishment of the Democratic Party. Now, for that, I say truly bravo. The manipulation is absolutely brilliant. Pulling the wool over people's eyes. Jerusalem Post columnist Emily Schrader said AOC literally in tears after voting present on the Iron Dome funding. More Jew-hating theatrics from the squad. You see, why was she crying? If AOC was really upset about the failure of the vote, why wouldn't she just vote no? Because she has political ambitions. Because it's really about her and her career. The crying is to make you believe that she's so upset that Israel is going to get their defensive capabilities supported by the U.S., But in reality, she doesn't care. She does not care. A diplomatic source told the Jerusalem Post, the White House began reversing the decision almost immediately after it was announced, illustrating the divide between the Congress and members from urban districts and President Joe Biden. They were uh, saying the squad was trying to withhold funding, but the White House was like, no way, dude. That divide widened with heated exchanges on the House floor as moderate Democrat Ted Deutsch of Florida directing a tirade at Ms. Tlaib who labeled Israel an apartheid state. Quote, I cannot, cannot allow one of my colleagues to stand on the floor of the House of Representatives and label the Jewish Democratic State of Israel an apartheid state, Mr. Deutsch said on Thursday. I reject it. When there is no place on the map for one Jewish state, that's anti-Semitism, and I reject that. Let me just, let me just say, I've been in Tel Aviv. It's, it's secular and urban. It's like urban liberal. It's amazing. I've been to Morocco. I've been to Egypt. And you go to these countries. I've been to Turkey. Wow, all all I can really say is in in Tel Aviv, it was like New York. I mean, obviously there's differences and speak Hebrew, pretty sure it's Hebrew. And uh, I'm not an expert on Israel by any stretch stretch of the imagination. But I walked around and women were doing, you know, gender equality stuff. Like just, they were just doing same old stuff you'd see in any other city. And there were malls and there was music. And then I went to Egypt and it wasn't the case. Women were being abused in the streets. And I went to Morocco and it wasn't the case. Women, not the same as Egypt, mind you, but women had a very specific role. Israel is a secular state in the middle of a theocratic region. And so that's, that, that's, that's just something I want to point out. They, they, they act like Israel is the theocratic fascistic state, when in reality, I'm sorry. I mean, you don't got to like the conflict. You don't got to support their actions. I think certainly Israel crosses the line a lot. But there's a big difference between a secular democratic state and the theocracy in these other countries. Let me show you what's going on with some of these people and we'll talk about ambitions. Kyle Kalinske is uh, the progressive YouTuber and personality posting a video where it shows Nancy Pelosi talking with Ocasio-Cortez, who then at the last minute changes her vote to present. 
And Kyle Kalinske says, completely cucked. Yes, many on the left, I believe, recognize that AOC is playing a dirty game. Calling her out, uh, respect, absolutely uh, respect Kyle for for, for this. And, it, and I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm surprised by that. I think Kyle's a good dude, you know, just for the, for the record. And I think there are a lot of people on the left who are recognizing that AOC is a scumbag. But there are a lot of people who just want to act like she's a hero for whatever reason. Nah, call it out, man. Come on, just call it out. I'll tell you this. Shout out to Rashida Tlaib. I do not agree with her politics, but she absolutely stands by uh, her causes. And I think I think I, di- I disagree with her. I really do. But I tell you this, I would absolutely prefer Rashida Tlaib, somebody who I know I can have an argument with, who believes what they're saying and will stand by it, as opposed to a snake like AOC, who will tell you one thing and do another. At the very least, at the conclusion of my argument or debate with someone like Tlaib, we would conclude, well, at least I, you know, I know you believe what you believe and you are arguing in good faith, albeit I disagree with you. That's respectable. Absolutely. And I've defended Rashida Tlaib in the past, even though I really think she's wrong in a lot of things. She's allowed to be. There's a lot of Republicans that are wrong in a lot of things. And I'll tell you this. I take serious issue with the moral and ethical stances of someone like Rashida Tlaib. But if I was going to make a list of the top politicians, I would have, obviously, you guys know I'm a big fan of Rand Paul. He'd be closer to the top. But I got to be completely honest. Rashida Tlaib would be up to up uh, near the top as well. Why? Yo, I just want to have a conversation about the issues and what you believe and why you believe it. But too many of these people just lie. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of rank and file uh, uh, members of Congress. We don't really talk about all that much. We're probably good people, too. Don't get me wrong. But Stand by your principles. AOC would be at the bottom of the list. She is duplicitous. She wants to run for Senate. Ron Campius says AOC's present may be the most concrete sign so far of her Senate ambitions. I agree with this. Take a look at this story from this is from January 4th. Ocasio-Cortez on challenging Schumer. I'm trying to decide what is the most effective thing I can do to help our Congress. She says, I'm not playing coy or anything like that. I'm still very much in a place where I'm trying to decide what is the most effective thing I can do to help our Congress, our political process, and our country actually address the issues of climate change, healthcare, wage inequality. She told the newly launched publication Punchbowl in an exclusive interview. Asked whether her decision would be affected if Democrats look likely to lose the House majority. Ocasio-Cortez responded, I'm not sure about that either. For me, I don't make these decisions based on these short-term factors. She was asked, she could have said no. Political reports. Schumer quietly nails down the left amid AOC primary chatter. That's right. Rumor is Ocasio-Cortez wants to primary Chuck Schumer. In any other circumstance, a populist primarying an establishment politician, I'd be all for. I mean, AOC did that in 2018, and I congratulated her. And I said it was a good thing over and over again. I cannot stand the establishment. But you know what we got? When Crowley lost to AOC, I was laughing. I was like, yes, good, man. I want to see a primary of all of these incumbents. Get them out, Pelosi, please, McConnell, go. Chuck Grassley announces he's running for re-election. And I'm like, dude, with all due respect, sir, retirement age was some time ago. It's time to start getting someone else to run. We need younger people, more more involved people. And we need people like Schumer and Pelosi and Lindsey Graham and McConnell and all of these people to retire and go away. That being said, AOC turned out to be a scumbag, a manipulative, 
influencer whose only desire is personal power. And, you know, there is something to be said for uh, her, where she comes from. And uh, I'm not saying it's indicative of all individuals, but someone who comes from humble means, not poor by any stretch of the imagination, though she tries to make it seem that way. She doesn't want to go back to the gutter. She doesn't want to be a nobody. Now, there are a lot of people who are born into prominent you know, political families and being in politics for them might be like the only way to step out of their family's shadow. So too many people who run are susceptible to the desperation of relevance. I just want my name in the books, they, they proclaim. So anyway, again, I'm going to shout out Rashida Tlaib because I do not see her as that. I really, really don't. Certainly don't like her politics. I certainly think she's, she's wrong in a lot of things. And that's A-OK because I can respect that. And I can say the same thing for many Republicans, though I, you know, I look at Rashida Tlaib, I'm like, well, like 80% of her policies, I think, are way off. And then I look at a lot of Republicans and I'm like, 70% of their policies are like way off because the left and the right are rather far from each other. There was actually a poll. They said on a scale of one to 10 um, with, you know, like one being, I, I forgot exactly what it was, but it was like one being, you know, very, uh, very liberal and 10 being like very conservative. Where would you place yourself? Where would you place the Republican Party? Where would you place the Democratic Party? And it was interesting because the average person finds themselves closer to the Republican Party than the Democratic Party. And I think that's a good example of what we see. I just I want politicians who believe what they believe, who stand on principle, and we can have a good faith debate with. And then maybe in the end, if Rashida Tlaib makes her argument and her argument works for more people and they say, you know what, we're going to go with her on this one, I'll be like, well, you know, we, we had a good conversation and it, it didn't pan out. And then someone like AOC is the person who's sitting there being like, I got snake oil for sale. I'll give you anything you've ever, everything you've ever wanted. And then they just sell you, sell you out. They sell you out. And this is what she wants. AOC's whole game is getting, well, I shouldn't say, I shouldn't say, but I think she's trying to get in the Senate. She wants to move on up. I think uh, there's an age limit for the Senate. Congress, I think, is what, 25. Um, but AOC, I believe, is old enough. Was it 30? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, she'll, I think she'll be old enough to even run for president or to not, maybe not, yeah, to be president, I think. I could be wrong. I got to do the math. I don't know how old she is. She's got political ambitions. She wants to rise to the top. And that is a dangerous person. When they're willing to change their vote after, after cry, crying and trying to convince you, this is a dangerous person you do not want in politics. And you know what? That, the, the, the thing is, people who are manipulative like this, they gain influence through that. She is a grifter, conning the people to gain political power. I'll tell you this, Rashida Tlaib at least stood by her vote bad vote, but I can respect that 100%. AOC, I can't. I think that she's going to lie, cheat, and steal her way to the top. And then it's going to be, I really do think she's going to rise in politics. She is, she represents this, this fringe faction, but she has a lot of followers. They're falling in line behind her. When, when Nancy Pelosi goes there, AOC is going to be right there and she's playing ball, man. That's what you got to understand. When they say, if you want this, you got to play ball. She goes, you got it. Don't worry, I'll pretend to cry and everyone will believe me, right? Right. You got to watch out for these people, man. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. The Department of Homeland Security is launching a new policing program that is being accused of being tantamount to pre-crime policing. Now, they say they're going to go after terrorists and extremists, most notably far-right and white supremacist terrorists, which poses the biggest threat. Now, I think that is incorrect, but I will say this. 
White supremacy is bad. It, it, it's, it's really, really bad. Like, I, I don't like people who have those opinions. They're allowed to have those opinions. I think those opinions are very bad. That being said, having those opinions is protected by the First Amendment. You stay away from me. I stay away from you. So long as people don't get violent, we'll learn to figure out how we navigate this stuff. Now, violent white supremacy is extremely bad as well. I don't even think I need to say it, but I guess 99.9% of people agree, except for, I suppose, violent white supremacists. So it's not immediately bad when the government comes out and says, yo, this is a bad thing. We want to stop. That being said, you must be careful when the government targets something reprehensible that everyone thinks is bad as an excuse to expand powers into what is being called pre-crime policing. Not to mention, I think most of us recognize the violence from Black Lives Matter and Antifa is also extremely bad and hurting people and costing billions of damage, dollars in damages. So we want to stop that too. Please, why won't you call that out? Because they're going, they're, they're, they're trying to rally support from the establishment and the mainstream, and they don't care about you. But I will add, before we read the story, something to consider. You know, a lot of people have said, which nightmarish dystopia do we live in? 1984? Fahrenheit 451? A Brave New World? Viva Vendetta? Well, I've called it A Brave New Fahrenheit 1984 for Vendetta. Did I get it? Something like that. The only thing is, I just now realized with this new program, it's more like a brave new Fahrenheit 1984 for Vendetta report, because the pre-crime stuff is from the dystopian movie Minority Report, where psychics would say you'd commit a crime, they'd stop you before you committed it, and the evidence that you committed a crime was the vision of a psychic. Now, I get it. In the ser- in, I think it's Philip K. Dick. I, I could be wrong. But in, in the movie, in the story, They have like a video recording of the psychic's vision, but still you didn't actually do anything and they would arrest you and then put you in prison for something you did not do. If they can stop you from doing it, then why should they imprison you? That's the interesting thing about the pre-crime policing. But I will say this. It's more than just this story, as per usual. I want to show you this in the post-millennial. Olympia man arrested after being caught on camera shooting at Proud Boy member in Olympia, Washington. Real Clear Investigations has a story out today. Little outcry over Antifa's equal opportunity beatdowns of journalists left and right by, by Mark Hemingway. Very interesting. Why is it the DHS is so willing to come out demonizing the right when we actually have way more media coverage of the left beating innocent people? It's because the DHS is on the side of Antifa. Now, hold on there a minute. I'm not saying that anyone from the DHS is meeting with Antifa, patting them on the back and saying, do good jobs. I'm saying that they're basically, it's like a truce almost, not formal, but the DHS is mostly like, eh, we're going to ignore them. You even look at the comments from Mark Milley during the peak of these riots where they were firebombing a federal building and he goes, it's just smoke and chalk. It's no big deal. And there it is. Mark Milley. Trump was like, we got to stop these riots. And he's like, no, that's your government letting them do it. So keep this in mind. When it comes to their pre-crime policing, do you think they will be fair in how they handle this? The answer is an obvious no. New DHS program aimed at domestic violent extremism, accused of being tantamount to pre-crime. From TimGuest.com, the creation of the Center for Prevention Programs and Partnerships has rights groups, particularly conservative and right-leaning ones, right-leaning ones, concerned that CP3 could be unfairly targeting them. 
Quote, Today, U.S.-based lone actors and small groups, including homegrown violent extremists and domestic violent extremists, who are inspired by a broad range of ideological motivations, pose the most significant and persistent terrorism-related threat to our country, Alejandro Mayorkas said during a Senate Homeland Security hearing on counterterrorism. Mayorkas said CP3 will be targeting, among other things, perceived governmental overreach and conspiracy theories promoting violence, although he did not clarify what he or his department believes constitutes these things. Activist Ed Hasbroke, Hasbroke, a consultant for the nonprofit Identity Project, compared the efforts to root out domestic terrorism to pre-crime policing. CP3's attempts to predict future crimes are to be based on behavioral patterns, i.e. profiling, and on encouraging members of the public to inform on their families, friends, and classmates. The problem is that the law does not permit prosecution based solely on patterns of lawful behavior. With good reason, pre-crime prediction is a figment of the imagination of the creators of the dystopian fantasy movie Minority Report. Wasn't Minority Report Philip K. Dick? Am I wrong about that one? I'll look into it. This is what you need to understand. From real clear investigations, we know it. We really do know it. There is a disproportionate amount of coverage, time, and attention paid to uh, violence in this country. If Antifa goes around beating old people, and they do, and I've personally watched them do it, you'd think there'd be a news story about it, but there isn't. I mean, there's a news story from Fo- a news story from Fox, or when I come out with video footage out of San Jose. Other than that, nope. When it came to Andy No being beaten, this was kind of like a major moment. The media freaked out. They could not ignore the story. It was a brutal video of an unprovoked attack on a journalist. Even Brian Stelter blurbed it out for 10 seconds. Sure, he could, have, he could have done a long segment talking about, you know, violence, but he's on the side of Antifa. What did, what did Chris Cuomo say? So since when were protests supposed to be peaceful? Yeah, now that guy's being accused of assaulting a woman, so I'm not going to take his word for it. Although, when it comes to uh, our, an, an incorrect opinion about the First Amendment, we can just throw it to that dude-eating ramen who was like, it's just in the First Amendment. All you got to do is look it up, Mr. Cuomo. That's right. Let's check this out. So we know what the government's intention is from real clear investigations. They say from covering displaced refugees around the globe to the obstacles faced by protesters seeking change in America. Freelance photojournalist Marini Staub believes her camera can be a force for truth and social justice. The work of a conflict photographer often requires physical courage in places she has reported from, such as Africa and the Middle East. It certainly did so on August 22nd, while Staub was covering demonstrations in Portland, Oregon. Members of the left-wing group Antifa called her, they called her a slut, and then demanded that journalists assembled to cover the protests get the F out. Staub, a 2020 reporting fellow for the Liberal Pulitzer Center, tried to calm the situation. She was assaulted. She told the Willamette Week that they grabbed her phone and smashed it. Then they threw her to the pavement and sprayed her with mace. The ugly assault on Staub below was filmed and distributed quickly online, resulting in widespread condemnation. If we were in a public street, in a newsworthy event is occurring, you're not going to tell me what I can and cannot film, Stop told the weekly newspaper. It's fascinating. That's uh, literally what I and many other people and journalists have been saying for some time. Once again, just being re- repeated by another journalist. But here's the interesting thing. To many people, Marini Staub is viewed as sympathetic to the left, anti-police. You know, I got to say, there's a lot of people who don't understand news. Right. I'll go down and I'll interview some Antifa guy at a protest and then they'll be like, why are you supporting them? And I'll be like, dude, I just literally asked what they thought. I'll go down and I'll talk to the police. And the left says, like, why are you talking to the police? Because I want to know what's going on. 
They want you to be on their side no matter what. And you see, what we get here is someone like Marini, probably pronouncing Marini, how you pronounce her name, is a journalist, probably left sympathies, but still wanting to just film what's going on, not refusing to back down. This is what happens. They will beat you. They will destroy your equipment. For the small band of reporters willing to cover the violent left-wing radicals in Antifa, such attacks are distressingly common. Protest mayhem has been in the news since the murder of George Floyd last summer brought many Black Lives Matter. And we, we get it. Quote, we are deeply concerned by the increase in attacks on journalists working in the U.S. The Committee to Protect Journalists tells Real Clear Investigations. Since 2017, the U.S. Press Freedom Tracker has documented 517 journalists attacked during protests, 400 of those in 2020 alone. Despite the alarming increase in such attacks, reporters who cover Antifa express frustration that the condemnation of the attack on Staub was an aberration. More often than not, Antifa's attack, attacks on the press have gone ignored, with the police typically standing back in the current climate of hostility toward law enforcement. The journalists who have done significant reporting on the loose-knit group are of divergent backgrounds and motivations, but tend to have one thing in common. They represent a new breed of journalists without the backing of traditional corporate media outlets. Instead, they rely on social media to break news. Some of their work has been criticized by other journalists who claim they blur the line between professional reporting and activism. And I will say, of many of these people, they are too cowardly to call out Antifa. And I have seen it. And I know these people personally. And some of these people claim to be on the side of freedom. And I say, if you watched Antifa punch someone in the face, why won't you report this? Well, I don't know the guy was Antifa. I mean, shut up. Don't know if they were. They're all there together. They're all protesting together. None of, no one there stops it from happening. But I don't know. If it happens, it happens. No reporter is better known for covering Antifa than Andy No, author of the best-selling book Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy Democracy. No, the son of Vietnamese immigrants, first started reporting on protest violence for Portland State Vanguard, Portland State University student newspaper, in 2016. He was fired from his job at the paper the next, uh, the next year after he was accused of sensationalizing a clip of a Muslim student at a university uh, saying that being an infidel is not allowed in Muslim countries. This ended No's traditional journalism career, but the story blew up online and was picked up by conservative media nationally. With left-wing violence largely ignored by legacy news organizations, No quickly found there was a market for coverage of Portland's growing problem with street violence, notably by Antifa. I think a better way to phrase it is, if something is not being done and it needs to be done and you decide to do it, I wouldn't call that an open market, right? If I see that the garbage hasn't been taken out and then I decide to take the garbage out, no one's going to say that Tim Pool realized there was a market for taking out the garbage because no one else will and decided to No, I decided to take out the garbage. Andy knows is a journalist. He's covering news. He sees that the stories are not being covered. People are craving information. What's happening? I wouldn't say that he noticed a hole in the market. That's to imply it's simply a business decision or to imply that he's a grifter. I think Andy Noah is like, hey, no one's covering this. We need to talk about what's going on. It's bad. Now, you can say that if he was against it, which he is, it's activisty. No problemo. I got no problem with that. So long as he's covering it, showing us the information and telling us what's happening. With that being said, I've criticized Andy in the past. When he went to a protest in, in Portland, I believe, undercover, and it was not a, a major newsworthy event. It was a small local protest. There was no, nothing major happening. He says he was trying to get more information on his book, and I said it was reckless. And if you're the only one or the, or the most prominent individual covering the violence from the extreme left, why risk yourself over something so trivial? Now, I get it. They're going out. They're causing violence, but it's, it's time to hire somebody. It's time to expand the operation. 
Of course, many people freaked out and were like, screw you, Tim. You're, you don't even go on the ground and yelling at me. And I'm like, I don't care. I went on the ground for years. I traveled all over the country and simply criticizing Andy No one time does not mean I don't like the guy or don't appreciate what he's doing. People are just that tribal. They're like, don't criticize Andy. Shut up. If Andy does something worth, worthy of criticism, I'll criticize it. I don't care who, who does what. I, I praised Rashida Tlaib earlier because she stood on principle, principles I disagreed with. Because you know what? I care about consistency. I'm not going to blindly follow behind someone who does dumb things. If Andy does something wrong, I'll say it. I love it. The left was like, Tim Pool is the voice of reason on Andy. Bro, maybe y'all should realize my issues here are not about your tribe or being on your side. I believe in freedom. I believe in honesty and integrity. And we can't all be perfect, myself included. I get things wrong. There's certain private information and details I can't share because maybe I have people that, you know, sources I got to protect. So it makes you know, for, for conflicts. They, they occur. It happens to everybody. But I got no problem criticizing anybody or praising anybody if I think they do something good. And in fact, I try not to play into these games. I'll try and praise someone on the left if they do something I think is worthy of, of, of compliment. That being said, Andy does a great job covering what's going on on the ground. And it's funny that I can criticize the guy one time and everyone loses their minds. Look in the mirror if you can't handle this criticism. But I will point out, for the most part, I think the people who choose to watch my show and the reason why Timcast isn't the number one podcast for whatever, you know, in, in politics or news, well, it's because I don't. I think a lot of the bigger podcasts are more than willing to either ignore an issue or just blindly side with a faction for the sake of winning for their tribe. And that's because they're a part of that group. Me, not so much. I believe in freedom. I'll agree with you on freedom. And uh, uh, that's about it, right? If, we, if you do something right, I'll praise it. That being said, I think most of you who watch this probably agree with what I'm saying. And there's a lot of people on the right who don't care and say, the le- you know, one thing I heard a lot was, the left will lie, cheat, and steal. They never criticize their own, blah, blah, blah. And so you have to stand by the right no matter what. And, uh, the left burns themselves down all the time. They call it a circular firing squad. This needs to be addressed. Now, rant over. Here's the point. When Andy No is brutalized and they, and they write these things about how they want to kill him, 187, police code for denoting murder, the media insults him. Now, at first, when Andy was attacked, we saw the media come out and say, OK, OK, you know, this was bad. You know, it shouldn't have happened. And then the propaganda came. Andy No is secretly part of the far right and working with the far right allies. Now they can justify ignoring the violence and the calls to, to his murder. I'm not going to cover it. I find it fascinating that uh, when it comes to uh, Marini, or however you pronounce her name, she, there was a statement from the Committee to Protect Journalists. They did not do the same thing for Andy No. Now, what's the point of all of this? Aside from the more emotional rant about people needing to accept criticism, if you can't accept criticism, you can't improve. Aside from that, I think what we're seeing is the obvious. If they're going to be enacting some kind of pre-crime program, do you think they'll be doing it to go after Antifa? No. I understand a guy in, in Antifa wildly was shooting in the street and shot somebody and he got arrested. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a line still. But here's the thing. Antifa can smash up windows, burn down buildings, and the media don't care. And so long as the media don't care, the government's not going to do anything about it. You see, politicians, many Republicans, I think most Republicans, are more concerned about the opinion of the New York Times as opposed to the opinion of their constituents. And that means if the media is unwilling to address an issue, they don't care to focus on it. So if every single Trump supporter in this country said Antifa bad and we want law enforcement to stop them, but the media doesn't say anything, 
then the Republicans don't say anything either, at least for the most part, except for those that have principles or, you know, are trying to keep their ear to the ground. No, what happens is they say, what are my constituents thinking about? Well, whatever the media tells them to think about. And the media is dominated by the cultural left and the institutional Democrats, in which case, what do you think Republicans are going to chase after? Now, it does get interesting as independent news outlets start to become more and more prominent. But here's where I think we're going. It starts with banning, removing voices. Now we're at the point where Joe Biden gave a speech today, and we'll, we'll cover this in the, in the, in, in, uh, the 4 p.m. segment. For those on the podcast, you probably already heard it. Joe Biden's like, we got, we got you know, 25% of this country. They won't do the right thing. The unve- is a pandemic of the unvexed. And here we go. Here's the rhetoric. They're going to blame you. Isn't that what they do? I think the Democratic establishment realizes that deviants and critical thinkers are a threat to the machine. And so, of course, they're finding a way to separate them. But the Internet has changed things. And there's no there's no done deal. I think it's entirely possible that with the Internet, they might try to censor. They might try to control things. But the Fediverse, crypto technology, it's really making it damn near impossible to do. They tried getting rid of Alex Jones. You know, let me tell you something. Alex Jones launches band.video and some other websites. Now, he's still getting hundreds of thousands of views on his content. His show's still getting millions. He's still everywhere. I did an interview with Alex Jones. He came here. He interviewed me out by the trees. It got half a million views in less than a day. Alex Jones' own website has that much power and pull. We don't need all of this stuff like YouTube. That's why we have TimCast.com critical infrastructure being built to support free and independent Americans, those who believe in individualism and believe in the American system of government. They can't take it away. They'll try to. And that's why I think we see these these programs like the DHS. They need to find a way to go after thought. It's hard. We have a First Amendment and a Second Amendment. And the United States is not one small country. It is a massive country of many different states, each of their own laws. And some states are more willing to protect than others. And many states are red, some are blue. The government doesn't have the ability to just come in and sweep everyone out and just shut it all down. This is the hope. This is the light at the end of the tunnel, the the door closing with the window opening. A lot of people say, Tim, why are you still on YouTube? You should quit YouTube. Because I think my channel being on YouTube, despite the censorship, is that open window. That when they close the door with censorship, there's still an open window. What does that mean? Well, look, I don't have the same opinions as Alex Jones. I think he's a bit off the rails sometimes, although he gets a lot right, and he should deserve credit for when he does. He also says a lot of really crazy things I can't corroborate, and I think are just probably wrong. Just because I, can, just because I can prove some of the stuff I think is crazy true doesn't mean it's all true. But Jones gets stuff right. He really, he really does. It's really fascinating. Um, and the left hates it. But... Uh, Example, he said George Washington wrote a letter to someone about the Illuminati denouncing it. And I was like, no, he didn't. I Googled it to the Library of Congress. That's the kind of stuff he gets right. The left won't accept that. They say, Tim Pool's defending Infowars, saying they're, they're right. Mm-hmm. There's a clip of me from a long time ago where I said that they were like a right-wing Huffington Post. Now, the full context was during the 2016 election, Alex Jones was trying to make Infowars more mainstream in the stories they were covering, less so lizard people type stuff. You know, I'm, I'm being facetious, but less weird Illuminati conspiracy and more we're on the ground at a Trump rally. They don't want you to hear that context because they want you to outright just believe Alex is always crazy. But anyway, the main issue is I could shut all this down. 
and say, oh, you know what? Fine. We won't be a part of their system. We won't be on YouTube. But I had Alex Jones on my show and Steve Bannon and many other people who are not allowed to be on YouTube in this capacity. It creates a pathway for conversations that they're trying to shut down. Once we lose that and the, the, the establishment excises the free and independent individual and thinker, you'll start seeing crackdowns. You'll DHS, police, arrests. And then what? The media will just lie about you and no one will defend you. And the jury will say, I'm not sticking my neck out for you. Let's see what happens with Kyle Rittenhouse. That's where this goes. And I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at youtube.com slash timcast. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.